7 of The Sleeper and the Bus. It is your Tuesday edition, and I am Paul Spore. Joined, as always, on Tuesdays by Eno Saris. Eno, we had some news overnight. Latroy Hawkins was dealt, man. We've been talking about him all year, and finally Latroy Hawkins is moved. What would you think of the move? <laughs> that was the big news, right? all of their problems in the bullpen, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I woke up. I saw Latroy Hawkins was moved. I got on Twitter really fast to discuss it because that's a huge baseball move. <laughs> uh <laughs> Obviously, we're going to get into that, uh, into the big trade there of Troy Tulowitzki. We got some trade talk, um, a couple, you know, another big trade this afternoon already. A lot of trade talks swirling. It's 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 a great week, honestly, you know. And I feel like we're we're headed toward another epic trade deadline period here. Uh, last year's might have been the best ever, and I'm not sure it can be topped. You know, the David Price, the John Lester, you know, it was so great. Um, that again, I'm not sure it can be top, but I think it's going to be excellent again. So let's dive right in. It is Tuesday. That means you're going to the yard. So you've got a hard stop. We got to start right away. Let's start on that Troy Tulowitzki deal for those uh, who've been living under a rock or maybe just don't have all the details of it. I'll give you all those details. It's Troy Tulowitzki and Latroy Hawkins headed to Toronto for Jose Reyes, Miguel Castro, Jeff Hoffman, and Jesus Tonikic, I believe, was was the last name on that on that young prospect. I'm very unfamiliar with him. A little bit more familiar, well, actually, a lot more familiar with Miguel Castro, and uh, somewhat familiar with Jeff Hoffman. Let's start at the very top. Tulo to Toronto. How did this strike you when you heard it? Obviously, you're West Coast, so you probably weren't asleep. I, I uh, what would you think? I was about to go to sleep, and then uh, had my plans changed, so I had to, to write it up real quick for uh, Fangraphs, but. Um, it's kind of crazy because it, it's almost like a fantasy baseball deal where, <laughs> you know, I'm going to give you back a shortstop that's not as good. It was like, it was like a two-for-one, right? It's like I'm going to give you a not-as-good shortstop and all these prospects, and you're going to give me the best shortstop in the game. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I it, it just doesn't make much sense for the Rockies unless they had – some preliminary discussion with somebody about Reyes. I, I just don't think that they want to hold on to Reyes at that, 20 million a year at this point in his career uh, while they're shopping Carlos Gonzalez and they have Trevor Story and they have uh, Brendan Roberts, uh, Rogers, the, the, their draft pick shortstop on the way up. So it just doesn't make a lot of sense for the Rockies unless uh, the Padres already told them they'd be interested in Jose Reyes. Yeah, there's strong speculation right as the details were coming out on this deal when we knew it was just basically too low for Reyes because uh, the news really trickled in. There was heavy speculation that the, the Rockies are at least talking uh, somewhere out there about flipping Reyes right away because, yeah, he doesn't really make sense. And he's got the backloaded deal, so it's 22 mil this year, 22 mil next year, 22 mil in 2017. And the same in 2018, although that's a team option, which is very unlikely to be picked up, uh, but a $4 million buyout. So there's still plenty of money. So, you know, moving to Lewitsky was always going to be difficult because of the money. It was going to have to take somebody like this. And again, it goes back to your piece about fantasy where, you know, we have a budget restriction in an auction league um, and I've got to give you my, my $28 player because I'm getting your $39 player. One of those kinds of things there. Uh, let's talk about Tulowitzki in Toronto. Obviously, he goes from one great park to another. Um, there's always been questions because he's been in trade rumors for so long, has Tulowitzki. You know, what, what's he going to be outside of Coors? He doesn't strike me as a Coors product. 
Um, obviously, he has worse numbers on the road, but part of that is just the fact that everyone does. Uh, so, you know, he's going to have a new home, and it is a great park, great lineup, should do well. But what do you think, Tulowitzki? What should we expect from him in the American League in the AL Beast? You know, you can't split his home and away, uh, you know, year by year, I don't think, because then you're just really killing the sample. But if you split Tulo's career uh, in half and for home and away, you still get uh, the third best offensive shortstop in baseball in the away games. And the since he was been since he's been in baseball, so some of those guys are gone, I think. And then well, yeah, uh, Jeter's probably gone. I, I assume Jeter's up there. Yeah, and uh, it's up by WRC plus, so it's not a perfect comp for for fantasy value. But I'd say, you know, uh, even the away version of Tulo is is a top two three guy every year. And then um, then you have to think about the fact that going from uh, Denver to Toronto as a home is not that bad. No. Um, you know, you go from the number one place for home runs as a righty to the number four place uh, for home runs as a righty. That's from 115 to 110. And then um, you also, you still gain a lot of the Babbitt love that uh, you get in Denver. I mean, the Blue Jays, uh, for righties, uh, triples, 114, doubles, 104. Uh, it's only singles that's, that's around 100. So... You know, I don't think Tulo will actually see too much of a of a drop, and any drop that he might see, in terms of just pure park situation, he might undo by having runners on base all the time. And, and pitchers pitch worse with runners on base, and uh, it's better to be on uh, have runners on base in real life, and then it's also better for fantasy because it means more runs in RBI. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with your assessment there. No real need to uh, state it differently. Let's move over to Reyes because let's just assume for a moment because, you know, probably tonight uh, or, or tomorrow he'll play with with uh, Colorado. We, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't been traded yet. So we got to assume that he's going to be there. What's it look like for him over there? I think there's a misconception uh, that, you know, Coors is only for homers. It's it's for everything. And uh, Reyes, I think, can definitely benefit from there. So what do you see for Reyes, if assuming he sticks with Colorado? For all his decline, I think a lot of his decline has been speed and defense-related and not necessarily uh, a huge amount when it comes to his bat. I mean, his batting average on balls in play, 315, is the same as it's been for his whole career. And it's not obvious to me that he has a ton more power. Obviously, he's not in his peak when he was hitting uh, 10, 12, Double digits, 16, yeah. 19 homers a year. Uh, but he's settled into the sort of 8, 9, 10 uh, spot for now five years. And uh, I don't see him changing much from that. I, I don't see his line changing too much. You I know, don't either. His, re- his projections regress him to a 306 Babbitt. Uh, maybe just project uh, just rejects him to his career Babbitt for 312 and give him basically what he's doing right now, plus uh, a tiny bit of power boost, not necessarily because of the park, but because he's shown a little more power than he's shown so far this year. Yeah, I, I could see maybe a little bit of an average boost because Coors does inflate just hits in general uh, with all that open space. And then it could translate into power because he could turn, you know, what would be singles for some guys into into doubles and then doubles into triples. So, you know, we could see some extra bases there. Uh, oddly enough, he has zero triples this year so far in 69 games for to, uh, for Reyes. So that's kind of interesting. Let's talk quickly. We're not going to hit on every prospect here because I don't think, you know, uh, that Miguel Castro is going to be fantasy impactful right now. But but 
down the line, he still should be. Do you think that Castro is a starter or a reliever long term? And then we'll get to Hoffman. Well, I mean, the nice thing is that his second pitch is a split finger, and he's got these big old mitts, and he's got a big old fastball, and he can get lots of ground balls. So, I mean, that's the, that checklist is great for the Rockies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people talk about him not getting uh, batters out in AAA right now. I, I still see a, almost 10 strikeouts per nine. Uh, I see a, a good strikeout rate in the minor leagues. So, um, he probably shouldn't have skipped double A and triple A and go, gone straight to the majors. But at the same time, he's probably not as bad as his walk rate has been so far. And if he can just find a decent cutter, slider, anything uh, to pair with the, the changeup, I mean, the slider that he threw in the major leagues, um, you know, was okay. I mean, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't terrible. It got, uh, you know, well, it was actually terrible. <laughs> By results, it was. I mean, he only threw 39 of them, but he got 3% swinging strikes. That's bad for a slider. Okay, so he needs to improve that. But I like a guy who starts with a split finger and a big big fastball. Um, and really, I think that's what they did with both of them. Because Hoffman, um, the changeup and the velocity are the things that are a plus. And, um, you know, we'll see... If the curveball, well, actually, you know, supposedly the curveball is better off, and that's not great in Coors. But he's such an, he's just, he's just, he's like the most dynamite, you know, hit or miss lotto ticket type guy. I mean, he, you know, he could fall apart again. He could, you know, find that change up. He could do, he could do all sorts of things. That's Hoffman that you were talking about there. That's Hoffman. And he was the ninth pick from last year, might have gone higher, still went ninth despite knowing that he either had just undergone Tommy John or was very much about to. It was, it was right in that window there, and they still took him nine. Now, the Jays had a luxury of having the picks seven and nine, so I think that that helped them, uh, you know, feel confident. I think it was seven and nine or nine and 11, something like that. Very close, so they could feel confident kind of taking more of that gamble pick and then maybe a, a more steady pick. I think it was Max Pentecost who was the other one there. So Hoffman and Castro. I like Castro. Uh, but not great know. news for, for them as, as you know, prospects. Of, of and, course. You know. But both both have nice size to you know six five for Castro six four uh, for Hoffman two two you know high quality arm prospects here they got they got to try it out and in terms of I agree with you on uh, Castro you know it didn't work with uh, with them skipping him but I was okay with them trying it because it actually did work with Osuna so they tried it with two guys it worked with one it, it didn't work with the other uh, at the time I was fine with them giving it a go um, right now Hoffman is is in his Tommy John return he was recently. Recently, I think, promoted to AA New Hampshire, uh, so he'll go into the AA system, I assume, for Colorado. I doubt he makes any sort of, you know, even September call-up this year, but who knows. Uh, all right, let's move over to that Ben Zobers trade, because that, that's the big one from this afternoon that we heard. Ben Zobers to Kansas City for Sean Manai and Aaron Brooks. KC, man, they, they ain't playing around. They are going for it here, and this is a great move. Obviously, getting a versatile guy like this, like Ben Zobris, really helps because they have a hole right now, Alex Gordon in left field, that Zobris can fill. But then when Gordon comes back, they can just start shuffling uh, somebody like Zobris around. You know, if Alex Rios doesn't get his act together, his days could be numbered. Uh, almost all-star Omar Infante with his 559 OPS has definitely got to be, uh, you know, being careful of seeing his locker cleared out soon too. So I, I don't think they'll have any problems figuring out where to play Zobers, but how do you like this move for him going from Oakland to Kansas city? 
I think it's good. I mean, the, the commenters on my piece are, are, I think, rightfully pointing out that it doesn't move the needle for the post uh, to get into the postseason, and the postseason is a crapshoot. So why do this? But you know, they. I don't, are I don't agree get, with that at all. Well, I mean, I mean I, it doesn't move the needle to make the playoffs, but just just throwing your hands up and saying the playoffs are a crapshoot, so why try? Yeah. That's kind of stupid to me. So uh, yeah, I disagree I with those they, commenters. I think they saw, you know, what the Giants did, and they said, well, we need our Madison Bumgarner. And it's not exactly the same situation, but they, I think they also said we need, like, our Gregor Blanco type. And, I'm, and you know, Zobris is, Zobris is better than Blanco, and it's not a direct corollary. But, you know, the Giants had the flexibility with Morris and Blanco to, to play around with matchups and, and get good pinch hit opportunities and, and you know, survive uh, some injury. Whereas um, the, the the Royals were a little bit thinner in some spots. So I think Zobrist really – and also, you know, if you're looking at making a, a playoff roster and you're, and you're looking at your opponent, now you can choose um, – with Zobrist being an infield outfitter, which is very few of them, mm-hmm. uh, you can now choose your the, the, the last two or three spots on your roster according to just talent and not exactly. necessarily – and so if you think Omar Infante is just more talented or a better bat than Terrence Gore, which might be the situation, and you think Omar Infante can steal a base, or you think Omar Infante is just useless other than his ability to play second base, could also be true, uh, then you can play. You can take Paulo Orlando or, or, or uh, Terrence Gore to the, to the postseason and exactly. not really worry about um, you know, certain situations. So, uh, you know... If you make Omar Infante your backup shortstop, for example, then you don't need um, Christian Colon. And so there's a lot more decisions they can make now, and they're a lot more set up. And with you know with Cueto, I mean, to me, they're favorites for everything. You know, they're favorites for the World Series. They, 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 they really are. I mean, KC, my, my big thing, you know, as a Tigers fan, I'm saying they don't need to sell because look at that KC rotation. They don't have anything guaranteed. That rotation is, is dog meat. It was garbage. Uh, they'd sent Ventura out. Then they make the Cueto move. And that, that one move completely changes things so much because now yeah. all of a sudden you're not asking Edinson Volquez to be your be your top guy and, and, and pitch the start of a series there. And, of course, their bullpen's still killing it. Danny Duffy's having some good results, although not the skills aren't necessarily there. But they can piece it together. But at least you have that front-line guy. And, of course, with their bullpen and the days off in the playoffs, oh, man, it's going to be – it's. It's gonna to be tough. Yeah, they're they're stacked up nicely. The Zobris move, I think, is fantastic because he's such a, a tremendous Swiss Army knife. Doesn't do a, a ton for his fantasy value one way or the other. Uh, although similar to uh, with Tulowitzki, getting in a better lineup always helps. Not that the Oakland lineup, you know, because the, because they're in last, I think everyone thinks that Oakland just sucks, but they don't. Um, and and their lineup actually isn't that bad. Uh, it's more kind of the pitching and 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 some of that awful luck and awful play in one run games you know some of it's got to be on on them so that works out what about Sean Maniah? he's the he's the big treat going back over to Oakland uh, solid move here I think for uh, Oakland as well what do you think of Manaya? Uh so that's how you say it I was yeah. gonna say Manaya, but uh don't ask me for pronunciation guys <laughs> so what I would what I would say is I like his strikeout rates I love his big velocity um you know command inconsistent and uh, health inconsistent um, you know, those are the two things that, uh, you know, are now the athletics to worry about, but real high end prospect, uh, got to be considered a little bit closer to the big leagues, considering that the A's I think are now going to probably enter, uh, 
try everybody out phase. They're probably going to move guys fairly quickly because, you know, people talk about rebuild and he even talks about rebuild, but I think Billy Bean still wants, you know, to compete quickly. Absolutely. And I mean, he didn't, t- he didn't trade Sonny Gray, you know, so. And, and they're not, again, they're not as bad as the record. And obviously they know that better than, than anybody else. Even, you know, 37, yeah. a plus 37 run differential and they're sitting in last place. They know that the, the plus 37 run differential is more indicative than the 44 and 56 record. That's, that's they, just the case. Right. And if you look at, I mean, things that could change if he trades Sonny Gray, but if you look at the players they traded, they're all. Uh, prospective free agents. So yeah, they're, they're the moves that you would make if you're a last play. If things just didn't work out and they haven't worked out, if they'd made like a, a late June, early July run, I think they, I think Oakland might've been buyers, but they didn't. And so they're selling the pieces that are going to leave anyway. And, and they're getting quality, uh, relatively close prospects. We're talking double a triple a type guys. Here. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, even the guys like Nottingham and Barreto, you know, they could just be pumped up and moved up into good situations and, and traded next year if they're, you know, for for uh, assets when they're if they're good. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm not too worried. I do think that uh, it's easier to crack, even though the Royals rotation is no good. I think it's easier to crack the athletics rotation, especially right now, because, um, yes. you know, Pomerantz is a two pitch pitcher. Jesse Chavez is somebody they don't believe in. They might He's even trade him still. Yeah, he, and he's, he's going to wear down. down at the end of the season. He's just a tiny little guy, and um, you know, I, I think that there's a, there's chances there. Whereas the Royals are going to, you know, win now. You know, even if they needed someone, they would have been more likely to call up someone like Jake, uh, Jake, Lam- John Lamb. Um, you know, he's traded away. They would have found a, a veteran uh, to to plug in there, and um, you know, a Chris Young type, and 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 just uh, and and just keep going until the postseason. So. Uh, yeah, I think all those guys are, are good. Aaron Brooks is kind of interesting. Is it Aaron Brooks or? Yes, it is Aaron. Yeah, Brooks. Aaron Brooks is interesting because he he displays this thing that I, um, you know, it's only been six, uh, seven innings, but he's gotten a lot of whiffs on his pitches, and it's 145 pitches. So, you know, this you know it's not just seven innings; it's 145 pitches, and he has a double-digit swing strike rate. But it hasn't struck out a lot of guys, and guess what? His changeup is his best pitch. Okay. So that's just, this is a theory I've been uh, holding on to, which is the sort of you could call it the Jared Parker theory, which is that um, if your changeup is your best pitch, your fastball isn't great, and you don't have a great breaking ball, you're going to have a high swing strike rate and a, and a low strikeout rate. Interesting. Very interesting. I, I, I hadn't heard that before. We'll definitely keep an eye on that. Uh, yeah, like I said, Benaya is the, the, the main treat there. But Brooks, you, you know you know, Billy Bean is not just uh, casually getting a second player in a deal. He's he's very much uh, considering who, who these players are going to be. And so, yeah, I've heard, I've heard Aaron Brooks get some buzz, but uh, he's definitely not the draw here. There was a small deal yesterday that probably went under the radar. Um, outside, I mean, it involved a name, Shane Victorino, to L.A., but the real interesting piece of that for fantasy is that it, it finally cleared the path on July 27th after all these, you know, we, we thought it, was, it wasn't going to take too long, but it finally cleared the path for full-time playing time for Rusna Castillo, um, and he was up playing yesterday. He was in that huge uh, run-scoring crazy game that they had between the White Sox and Red Sox. I think he went two for three or two for two. What do you think of Rusne Castillo now? Uh, looks like he's going to get an extended look finally. Yeah, unfortunately, he's not in the lineup today. Oh, so not that extended uh, of a look, I guess. Yeah, and that's <laughs> uh, 
that's kind of weird. Um, and I, I'll try to figure out, um, let me see here. Uh, any case, I don't know who's pitching for, uh, uh probably a lefty. I mean, they, they only have lefties, uh, do the white Sox unless it's Samarja. They're one. Yeah, it is. They're one right-hander. So they got Diaz in there. I guess that makes sense then. Um, yeah, I mean, just going forward, going anywhere. Going, yeah. Going forward. I agree with you in general that, uh, this should be the time for, for him to, um, to, to play regularly. And, and, and even his, um, his GM said that uh, they'd like to see what he can do and that, you know, listed his, his strength as being able to hit uh, pitches in different spots, which is kind of like, I guess, the Pablo Sandoval um, skill set where it doesn't really matter how you pitch him. Yeah, you can, uh, he can get to kind of anything. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, hit bad, bad ball hitter sort of thing. Right, and with the team out of it, I doubt that Daz is really going to get all that run. I mean, our project, our our um, depth charts have Daz a top right field, but they should flip him. He's 31. Uh, they've gotten this nice run out of him, 100, 132 plate appearances of a 130 OPS plus from from Daz. They should flip him. You, you're not going to get anything all that much. But, uh, you know, for, for one of those lottery tickets that we see, we see these moves, these smaller moves for a fill-in piece. Diaza will have interest uh, for somebody who needs a bench outfielder. I think that's what will end up happening by week's end uh, in Boston there. And then it will clear the wide open path for Castillo, and he won't just be a short side platoon guy. Uh, all right, last bit of trade news here that we've got as we wait for more deals to come in. It, it, it's looking like the Nationals are close to acquiring Jonathan Papelbon. It's tough to get too much into this because the deal isn't done, um, and, and, and we've seen things that are near near finished that fall apart. So, you know, who knows what, we, what to really make of this. But I did want to bring it up because, you know, Papelbon's out there saying, I'm not going anywhere unless I'm closing. Uh, I find it interesting that that Washington would acquire him and acquiesce to that request and then move move, move Drew Storen out of there. He's been fantastic this year. Storen has 29 saves, a 173 ERA, and 44 strikeouts in his 36 innings of work. And he might be on the outside looking in if they do bring Papelbon uh, into the fold here. What do you think of this whole thing with Papelbon saying, I'm not going anywhere unless I'm closing there? And what what do you think if he would go to Washington? Yeah. I mean, it's obvious that they're going to have to assuage the player to, to get it done. And Why would you assuage like they... that douche, though? Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't stand Pavlon. I, I don't dislike many players, but that guy just rubs me the wrong way. You know, they, they've also uh, moved Storin out of the role before. They have. And Storin is in arbitration next year, so if they... Uh, if they can argue that uh, he was removed from his role by a more established closer, then maybe you know they shave a couple save hundred a thousand bucks. off of his uh, off of his deal. Um, and there is the playoff stuff too that people are going to bring up no matter what, and it's like the ultimate small sample size stuff for him. But uh, Storm does have five and a third playoff innings in his career, and he has an 8.44 ERA. So and and, and some spectacular. Uh, memorable meltdowns too. You know, obviously last uh, the the Cardinals won in 2012, and then last year against uh, who who had that hit against him when he was brought in on the uh, the Jordan Zimmerman game was it Pablo Sandoval maybe uh, who had the big hit against him. So you know, 
maybe they're already looking for again a similar team to KC where they're 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 making more moves here for October as opposed to right now even though they're not nearly as uh, out in front as the Royals are but even with a one game lead over or I think it's a two game lead over the the Mets they're still the the prohibitive favorite here for the Nationals so they're obviously looking closer toward October and maybe that's what's playing in here but man that's that's tough, I think, uh, to do to Storin. I wonder how he'd react to that. Uh, let's yeah, go you know, oh, for sorry, what it's worth, I mean, even though Storin owns the velocity, um, the velocity lead on Papelbon, and we made we've talked a lot about uh, Papelbon's velocity drop, and Storin this year has really gone to the strikeout and fly ball route, uh, route instead of the uh, ground ball, you know, um, lower strikeout rate sort of situation. You know, he's done it by throwing more junk than fastballs. But even though all those things are true, I think that we should give Pavel Bond some credit for, you know, riding his great command and that great splitter and really taking the Japanese route to excellence. Um, I also heard it described, I think, on on uh, MLB now as the, the Houston Street process, you know, kind of yeah. going, going toward more that junk balling uh, effort there, but, and, and doing command and control as the way to get there. But yeah, listen, I, I can well, make I fun of Papelbon. Japanese because, because Papelbon has a nice split finger. So that, know, that's he, true. He, he I, has I, more velocity than the guy that replaced him in Boston in Wehara. And uh, he's got a better breaking ball and similar level control. So I, you know, I think he'll actually come in and be the closer. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think that you wouldn't – it'd be interesting. I don't think you have to worry too much about saves. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. It's Storin that you definitely have to be worried about. So if you do have Storin, you might want to go start trolling the, the Giles market right now because he would be the heir apparent in, in Philadelphia. All right, you know, uh, for our main topic today, we're going to talk about a few guys who are on the rise. These are uh, – four of them are previously established guys. One's a, a younger guy, but four guy, uh, five guys who came in with some, some pretty solid hype. There was some expectations around them, and they were just brutal for, for a large part of the season here. But, the, but they're on fire right now. These, guys, these five guys uh, are very much on fire right now, and i got to get an idea of where you're at with them. And nobody is on more fire right now than Carlos Gonzalez. In fact, he – He's so hot right now with the Tulo trade that now they're talking about maybe they're going to go ahead and move him at a, at a at a high point. Cargo in his last 100 plate appearances has a 379 average, 10 bombs, 24 ribbies, and 20 runs, including three multi-hit homer games. Excuse me, three multi-home run games. I believe in his last four or five. It's it's absurd. Uh, compare that to the 237 average, 10 home runs, 27 ribbies, and 29. Uh, run scored that he had in his first 259 plate appearances. So he's basically needed a hundred plate appearances to replicate what he did in his first 259. Where are you at on cargo? Cause I'd given up and it was mostly health related, but I had moved on. And so I gave credit to folks out there yesterday. I said, you know what? Hats off to you who stayed true to him. And there are a handful that I can recall that are in my sphere, uh, whether they're just friends or, or people in the fantasy industry, I was out. Where are you on cargo? Well, I did write a piece about how Carlos Gonzalez was being unlucky on, on fly balls and basically used some research from Stephen Ray Brown over at Braves. Uh, I'm not going to get it right. Braves Country Store or something. It's, his name is website. In any case, uh, he did some work on batted ball velocity and basically had an expected WOBA that came out of your, your batted ball trajectory, ground ball, fly ball, line drive. 
-hmm. and the velocity on those different trajectories. And so I found that really compelling. I, I think the next step, of course, is to, to judge trajectory uh, by per, uh, angle rather than, you know, uh, ground ball, line drive, that sort of uh, stuff. So, uh, but it is the right step forward. I think that's eventually we're going to have um, a, a sense of, you know, balls that are hit 100 miles an hour between these two angles are hits 90% of the time, and Carlos was getting hits on 70% of them or something. We're going to be able to say it much more precisely than some ball that a guy called a line drive, um, you know, didn't fall. And so um, I do think uh, uh, that was good work. And basically what we saw was that Carlos Gonzalez had a slugging percentage of like 390 or 400 on fly balls that were hit 100 miles an hour. And uh, the the average is like 600 slugging. Yeah. So basically... You know, he was hitting the ball hard. It just wasn't going – it was going to outfielders, and it wasn't going to outfielders in some sort of pattern that he was being shifted or something. It was just randomly not, you know, quite making it over the wall or whatever. So, you know, he's done his, he's done his work, and, he, you know, he's, he's hitting the fly balls with more authority now, or, or they're, they're dropping now. I would want to point out that of his last – I mean, he has hit seven homers in the last week. Uh, five of them were at home. And, and then the two keep, yesterday in, in in Wrigley. Right. So if you keep going back, seven of his last nine homers were at home. Um, let's see here. Eight, nine. Nine of his last ten homers were at home. I'll just give you the full split on the 20. It's it's 12 yeah. at home, eight on the road. And based on what you're saying, obviously a lot of those road ones were done earlier, except for the two that we saw on Monday night in Wrigley. Um, but we, we, you know, we've always known that uh, Cargo is somebody who definitely benefits from that home park. I think the real issue here in his game, I guess, is, is lefties. I mean, he's doing literally nothing against them. A 398 OPS um, against lefties for Cargo in only 82 plate appearances. But if you got a 985 against righties in 277 plate appearances, I guess we'll take the uh, the lefty struggles for I sure. Guess, you know, where, where, where I said the Tulo's WRC plus away from home was 111, uh, and he's a shortstop. Carlos Gonzalez's uh, wage runs created plus away from home is 102. So that basically means he's league average away from home. So yeah. if you're talking about away from home against a lefty, then he's not he's like not usable. Not playable. So, yeah, exactly. But you know, just look at this this away split: 258, 313, 440. It's going to be usable, but he doesn't have the speed anymore that he used to. And so now you're talking about a guy who's going to hit, um, you know, closer to 260 with 20 home run power and sure. five steals. You know, if that's how you're valuing him, that's great. I will say that I have, you know, I tried to go and get Carlos Gonzalez in one of my, you know, 12-team keeper leagues just because I thought, you know, before he hit the streak, I thought, you know, here's a guy I can go get, and it wasn't possible. I think people who own him still love him. That's the thing. Those who do have him... Uh, they, they still love him. Otherwise, you, you've moved on. Um, and you mentioned the batted ball velocity data. A, a very popular DFS player, CSU Ram, Peter Christensen, had mentioned the same thing to me, too. He said, you know, I stayed on track because I kept seeing this this exit velocity, and it just wasn't matching. The, the results weren't matching what you're supposed to get with that kind of uh, work there. So, you know, this sort of stat cast stuff with this batted ball velocity is really helping people identify some guys every once in a while. And, you know, the one the, where I really erred with him, I think, uh, with Cargo is that I'm usually saying I'm fine investing in guys when the skill set's in place and injury is the main concern. And yet at the same time, I dinged 
Carlos Gonzalez so much for injury that I, that I basically had him off my board. So I kind of contradicted myself there in terms of a theory that I like to go with. I should have stayed on board a little bit more, and maybe I'd be reaping the benefits of, of this excellent work from Cargo. Because there was a point in this season where you could have had him for peanuts. Even even from some of the, the believers were really being tested when you're talking about a 600-something OPS in late May. Um, and if you found the right one, even even a lover of Cargo was like, oof, I don't I don't know at this point. Maybe I, I will trade him. So, But he's been great. Let's move on to your boy, Rugnet Odor. Uh, we've been talking about him a couple times, but let's just put the numbers together here. Since his recall, 352 average, seven bombs, 25 ribbies, four stolen bases, and 19 runs in 139 plate appearances. He was unbelievably brutal in, in his first 103 plate appearances. I'll just tell you it was a 144 average. It doesn't really matter what the other numbers were because it was just so bad. Obviously, we never thought he was that bad of a player. He just was struggling, and he was so young that sending him down made sense because it was kind of snowballing on itself there with the struggles. He's back, and he's playing a lot like I'm sure you thought he could be if he broke out the way you expected this year. And, uh, you know, this was one of your guys here. Odor's been on fire. How, what, do you, what are you seeing from him? Is this kind of what you expected, and, and you feel vindicated for sticking by him? Yeah, you know, I guess it made sense to send him down, and the narrative is going to be that he he found something down there and uh, figured it out. And and I don't uh, even know if it's a good idea. You know, to send him down. I think sometimes you just need the breather. Not that you even go to, and work on anything necessarily. Just just the breather, or or the way I put it for Yodano Ventura, who um you know was sent down for not even a day, I think, but. Just the idea of these young guys learning that it can be taken away, that you're not guaranteed anything, might snap them back into reality. It might not always be some some change in the mechanics or or you know moving in the batter's box or something like that. Sometimes it might just be, whoa, I did not think that I could get sent back down. I thought I was here to stay, and you get smacked in the face by it, and then you shape up a bit. I I think in some instances it's that simple. I don't that's know if good, that- that's a really good point because, and as much as you know the the stat nerd in me wants to say eh. exactly. I I think there's something there really because I did talk to Alex Gordon about this and he said exactly what you said, which is basically I realized I had to do everything I could to to stay in the major leagues. I had to do anything and everything. I had to I had to be the best damn left fielder I could be because they weren't going to let me be a third baseman anymore. Exactly. I had to figure out how to hit for doubles power in Kaufman because my hits weren't going to go, my home runs weren't going to leave that stadium. I had to, you know, really work on my patience and try to have a high OBP and, you know, be the best defensive guy I could because, you know, they weren't going to keep me in the major leagues otherwise. And if you look at the kind of player he is now, he's, he was shaped completely by the fact that they sent him down and changed his position. I mean, exactly. he, is, he is today because because they did that. So, and I had the same reservations about kind of coming to that conclusion as a stat guy myself. Like, ah, you know, maybe there is. Some, but no, I think sometimes it's really just the mental piece of, whoa, that got taken away from me. Don't want that to happen again. Let's yeah. move on to, to David Ortiz. Obviously, he's he's been kind of having a hot streak, similar to Cargo, very recently. But uh, you really go back over his last 160 plate appearances, and Ortiz, 14 bombs. 35 ribbies in his first 222 plate appearances of the year. He had just six and 21 respectively. 
again every time we bury this guy and it looks like it's time to bury him. I mean, there are reasons to bury him when we as a fantasy community, not necessarily you and I, but just as a fantasy group, when we bury him, the, the writing is on the wall. It, it, it is somewhat justified um, because the, the, the struggles are there and he's older. And then all of a sudden, boom, snaps out of it. Is he just back again? I mean, wh what do you think of Ortiz's big run here? Because now it looks a lot like the guy that we've been seeing recently, uh, even in his late 30s here. You know, I think uh, there are still, still a signs that you say that we, we used to bury him. I mean, uh, five, you know, like seven-year low in hard percentage. Um, you know, 10 year high in, in infield pop-ups, uh, you know, you know, his pull percentage is, is, uh, you know, second lowest of the last 10 years or so, Yeah, you know, down. you know, there's, there, there are things that we can use to point his decline still. And so would you sell I, him? I think they're valuable because they remind us that yes, he is 39 and yes, you know, he's a little temperamental, and if the Red Sox fall out of it, it's completely believable that he'll do Operation Shutdown type stuff. Yep. And um, also, I think it's also uh, worth pointing out that you should never play him against a lefty anymore. Um, it's just uh, it's just gotten worse and worse to the Similar point to cargo. where... Huh? Similar to Cargo. Yeah, I mean, he used to... For his career, is 108. And just as recently as last year, he was a 142 WRC plus. But I believe that uh, if you look at him in the context of his whole career, um, he hasn't normally been good against lefties. And this year's 19 weighted runs created plus against lefties really uh, tells you the, the real story that uh, at some point he's going to be platoon only. And I think you've even seen it. I mean, if you watch the games. Um, you know, they're taking him out against lefties, and I doubt he's going to play much more against lefties in the future. Yeah, a couple of these recent homers have come against lefties, and that certainly helped him. But, you know, uh, honestly, if you got a couple homers against them and you're still at a 19 WRC+, plus, that really tells <laughs> you where, where, where things have been for him. So, um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I would try to sell him. You're not going to get a mint for him ever. Uh, but, but yeah, I think you, you might still want to try to move out if you can on this hot streak here. Let's talk about Melky Cabrera real quick because uh, then we got to get to the last guy and get you out of here. Melky Cabrera was a guy that Jason and I definitely liked a lot this year. Uh, Melky and, and Brett Gardner were two guys that, that Jason loved as kind of the second and third outfield types that you could get. And, and the Gardner one w w was brilliant. And I, I was with him on both, especially Melky. I thought Melky was going to have a great year, but it just did not get, get off to a good start at all. He had a 520. 21 OPS through uh, his first 237 plate appearances of the year with a 226 average and just a single homer. Well, since then, uh, 340 average, five bombs, 29 ribbies, 19 runs scored. This is in 176 plate appearances after that season low 521 OPS. He's got 17 multi-hit games in this run, which is tied for second most in that period. Gerardo Parra has 20, and then five others have 17 along with Cabrera. Uh, he has a Seven-game RBI streak, a five-game multi-hit streak. He's on fire right now, and the White Sox are playing a lot better ball with he and Adam Eaton, uh, you know, finally hitting. That's no surprise, of course. Those are the one-two hitters finally getting it going, and it's it's jump-starting this team to the point where they're saying, well, maybe now we don't have to sell Jeff Samarja because maybe we are the ones that uh, stick around in this and try to make a, make a run. Where are you at on Melky Cabrera right now after this big run? You know, 
at some point he was like uh, one of the league laggards in, in hard percentage. And, you know, in terms of hitting the ball hard, it's still um, below his, his career average, which obviously has had some uh, ups and downs. And it's definitely way below uh, his recent, um, so we say, resurgent uh, yes. part maybe, of his career. Maybe he created a new website, and that's what that's what's. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, then if you look at um, how that split works month by month this year, um, it's kind of remarkable. I mean, I know it's 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 degrading your sample, but listen, he he hit 18% of his balls hard in, in March. He hit 20% in May. 28% in June, 33% in July. So I don't know what he's figured out, uh, but he hasn't hit an infield fly in July, and uh, he looks a lot more like his old self. Now, the homers the homers bit just come in bunches for him. I, I think um, I wouldn't count on that. But given this new rate of hard hit percentage, I think you know at least the good average is going to be here for a little bit. One thing that I think I've heard about him in the past, and if I'm wrong on this, Folks, please feel free to correct me, but I feel like I heard that in the past he's been one of those guys who really doesn't like the cold weather uh, piece at all. So maybe the April and May situation, playing up in Chicago and in the in, in the Midwest of Northeast, uh, maybe that was affecting him. I don't know. You know, it was it was pretty bad. So I don't know if cold weather could explain away all of that awful performance, but maybe that was playing some sort of role to the, to the, to the early struggles. Um, and obviously here in July, he's just been electric. It's been great for Melky. And so glad I stuck by him in a couple leagues that I have him. Um, this the last guy here, similar to cargo for me, guy that I kind of moved on from. Um, I don't feel bad about this one. I feel a little bit bad about cargo. I don't feel bad about this one. I just, I don't trust this guy anymore. It's Matt Kemp. Uh, 240 average, four homers, 36 ribbies, uh, and a 621 OPS in, in his first 73 games. That's a, a span of 307 plate appearances. Over his last 102 plate appearances, Matt Kemp has a 315 average, seven bombs, 18 ribbies, and a 1033 OPS. That's a span of 25 games. Again, 102 plate appearances. So Matt Kemp, is he about to have another huge second half the way he did uh, last year, or is this a, just a nice run for the uh, temperamental, shall we say, outfielder? I mean, he obviously has the ability to spray the ball hard to all fields, and he's he's a good player. But no matter what we think of him going forward, it's always going to be dampened by his home park now. And, he's and, just and not... the health profile. Yeah, uh, that's, the... that's where I worry. Easily, easily uh, could get dropped with an ankle or a hammy at any time. Um, so, you know, I think in this situation, 30-year-old, uh, having done what he's done, even with his track record in that park, I'm not taking the over on his projections at all. 260, six homers, five stolen bases. I mean, um, that's useful, but it's not um, – it's probably a third outfielder in most fantasy leagues. Any chance they move him? I, you know the the car. Uh, excuse me. The Padres are talking about moving some of their big pieces that they acquired in the offseason. Uh, is there any chance that he would be one of them, or is, is is it just too tough to do that? You know, I think the one thing we did learn about the Reyes Tulo trade is that it was, on some level, hard for the Rockies to trade Tulowitzki because of the money left on the contract. Exactly. You know, I think they took Reyes back because he had fewer years and he might be easier to sell. So. I'm thinking that Matt Kemp's going to be very hard to trade. I have so to swallow a lot of the money, and um, it's not clear that there's any team that desperate for it. I mean, like, 
the Mets uh, could be interested, but they basically the Padres have to pay the whole deal, and then the Mets would have to give them a really good prospect, which doesn't sound like the Mets. Okay, uh, let's let's wrap this up then. We got Cargo, Rugnet Odor, David Ortiz, Melky Cabrera, Matt Kemp. Rank them rest of the season uh, just as a five by five, let's say twelve team mixer. How do you want these guys? Odor. Well, I think Odor and Cargo are pretty close. So, you know, you have to give positional value to Odor. Yeah, second base uh, that helps. It's a little bit hard to know if you're talking about five outfield, three outfield, that sort of deal. Also, if Cargo gets traded, so I'm actually going to put Odor first. Okay. Um, I just think that he's the kind of guy who can hit, you know, 20-20, not necessarily hit both those benchmarks, but he is that kind of uh, ability. I, I love and, Odor. And he plays second base. So 20-20 second baseman, you know, making good contact now, um, good swing mechanics. I, I like him. Cargo, I'll, I'll put second. They may not be able to sell him for the same reasons that they can't sell Matt Kemp, which is money. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, Kemp is easily last. Um, I have Ortiz last, but yeah, I mean, I have Kemp four, so you know, Melky third. Then obviously, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you actually on the Odor uh, cargo piece there. I, I like having Odor tops there. I, I really like Odor. I ranked him uh, what I thought was pretty aggressively in the in the second base rankings. It didn't go over well, but uh, I, I, oddly enough, those commenters are no longer showing up now that. Uh, uh, Odor's playing out of his mind. Th- those who hated and, and, and called it a, a try-hard uh, ranking of ours because we had Odor as the 12th uh, second baseman the rest of the way. Jeff was high at 11. I had him at 12, and then Zach and Dan 16 each. And that, that, that was panned a little bit, and uh, so far so good with him. So we'll go, we'll go with that. Uh, Cargo, or excuse me, Odor, Cargo. I'll go Melky, uh, Kemp, Ortiz. I think you're going Melky, Ortiz, Kemp, or, or do you have Ortiz ahead of Melky? Uh, there's a little bit of a, a need situation there. And between power, I, I, I wouldn't and hate on anybody, you know, taking Melky for batting average or Ortiz for for power. But that's the thing; they, they they offer two vastly different things, and at this point in the season, it really does come down to need. All right, you know, well, uh, we'll get you out of here. We're going to do the same thing for pitchers on Thursday. Talk about some guys who are on the rise after ugly starts. Uh, just a uh, you know a preview. Chris Tillman will definitely be one. I, I know we've spoken about him a little bit recently, but he's had another good outing. So we'll, we'll deep dive him a little bit more. You know, get out to the yard. Go tell you, you know, I had you pass on my love for Nolan Arenado. You got to tell Brandon Belt that I love him for sure, because <laughs> that 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 that's just that's just going to be an undying love there for the former Texas Longhorn, <laughs> who I'm expecting to have a nice second half, and he's you know he's doing fine. So definitely pass that along. But uh, otherwise, have a great time out there with the Brewers and Giants, and we'll talk on Thursday. All right, take care.